Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. So good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. The Dharma is rarely encountered. In fact, it wasn't encountered until this moment. In millions of ages, but not up until this moment was it encountered. I love these soft Irish mornings, these kind of misty, rainy mornings. So reminiscent of being back home in England, where we very rarely saw the sunshine <laughs> until maybe August for a week. Um, I hope the weather's nice in Windsor today for the royal couple getting married. <laughs> Heaven forbid they should get bad weather and all the finery. I find myself more and more these days thinking of my own aging and thinking of uh, the royal wedding today, you know, remembering Princess Diana and Prince Charles when they were getting married. And, uh, I remember at the time I was in Italy, I was in Rome, uh, watching the royal wedding on TV. so high. Uh, I can't remember what drugs I was doing in those days, but I was like in Rome. Um, I don't know if you ever told the story about, I'm digressing, but why not? Um, <laughs> I was in, living in London and um, my friend Paul, whom some of you have met, he's, he's been, he comes up here once a year to take care of our cats when we leave for a vacation. And I was what, 20, I don't know, 27, 28 at the time, and he was like, oh, whatever. Um, and um, living with my ex-fiance, yes, folks, living with my ex-fiance at the time, and um, we were going to go to Rome for vacation. And I got so drunk the night before, which was my kind of habit of um, going for a drink and then waiting till the pubs closed and then going to a bar, a after I was bar or club afterwards. So we, I got home around um, four or five o'clock in the morning and Jay and Paul were worried because where was I? We were leaving and I hadn't packed. And there was this mad scramble to pack for the vacation. So I threw all my stuff in a suitcase, got in a cab, I was throwing up all the way to Heathrow Airport, got on the plane, got to Rome, found the pension, actually, problem with, it doesn't matter, I found, we, we found somewhere to stay, opened my suitcase, I had eight pairs of shoes and three pairs of leg warmers and a, <laughs> and a pair of boots. That's, that's what I had packed in my suitcase. And our, vac <laughs> our vacation went downhill from there. 
But I remember, one of the things I remember very clearly was standing online to get into the Vatican. And for some reason, oh, we're wearing t-shirts and shorts. That was a no-no. And watching the royal wedding on television. And the rest, as they say, is history. So I don't know why I went into that, but <laughs> memories, yeah. Even though I forgot my glasses this morning, so I'm on these things. So we are, these are very uncomfortable, forgive me. We are um, in our catch your mind period this, these last uh, weeks and months, we've been looking at uh, aspects of Soto Zen practice. And today with Koshin, Koshin by the way is up at uh, Riverside Church with one of our students, Mocha, who graduated uh, yesterday with her, or today, today, graduated today that, um, with her master's in pastoral care and counseling that she uh, worked very hard on through us and NYTS uh, joint program, so she's graduating this morning. Um, and so a couple of other students are up there with her, and Koshin as her teacher, supervisor, professor is with her. So he'll be here this afternoon. So we're looking at uh, aspects of Soto Zen practice. And what we'll be looking at this afternoon is Zazen. Zazen in our practice. Dogen, who was the Founders as Soto School, as School of Soto Zen practice. For him, at some point, he said, you know, the fundamental, the most fundamental part of our practice is to sit. If we do that, we don't need to do anything else. We just sit zazen. And then, of course, he went on to write hundreds of fascicles and about. Uh, the Dharma, and so he was doing much more than just sitting, expounding the Dharma in, in an incredibly articulate way. Um, but at the very core of his teaching was to just sit. In his fascicle, um, the Fukan Zazenji, he wrote this. The way is basically perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for man's concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one right one. So it is never apart from one right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? Right? What's the point? The way is basically perfect and all-pervading. We don't need to do anything else. And then, as Dogen always does, contradicts himself. And he said, and yet, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arises, 
the mind is lost in confusion. This is why we practice. Because none of us escape the likes or dislikes, the preferences, the eh, I don't want to, it's not for me, it's too difficult, or whatever is arising in our life. Whenever we're lost in something or another, and we are all lost in something or another, some point, every single moment of the day. We're human beings. We have a mind constantly working. We're never free of those slightest discrepancies, which is why we practice. We practice so that we become more mindful of the world around us. We practice so that I can remember to introduce my teacher to you this morning. <laughs> Shows how dust-free my practice is. So this is, most of you know Diane Sensei, my teacher and Koshin's teacher. Good morning. It's hard to believe, difficult to believe that almost three decades now <coughs> since we've known each other. Three decades. That was after the royal wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's wonderful to have Diane here in our community here. She has her own community out on Long Island. So for, uh, to make the trip in here is you know, it's not free of hardship. And the jitney in the summer or Memorial Day approaching in the Hamptons. And uh, because Koshin wasn't going to be here this morning, Diane graciously agreed to come and sit with me. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> I think Koshin said somebody needs to babysit Chodo. Because <laughs> you know how he gets, he digresses all over the place. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> so Zazen, half-day retreats. We take this time out of our busy schedules once a month to sit. To sit for a morning of Zazen. This is not about sitting, coming and daydreaming for half, you know, for a few hours. Hanging out, planning our vacations, planning lunch, what am I going to do tonight, you know, listing my resentments. These are all the things I do. <laughs> but that's not what this is about for you. Our practice is to, tr is to begin to allow for those things to drop away to not get caught up in our thoughts and ideas and concepts, even though they're constantly arising. Sitting on the cushion, planning my vacation, listing my resentments, noticing my boredom, noticing the pain in my knee. This is all great fuel for my practice. Ah, come back to my breath. 
back to my breath. In the beginning instruction, as you know, it's counting the breath, in breath, out breath, one, in breath, out breath, two, anytime you get lost in thought, come back to the breath. If you get to the count of ten, bring yourself gently back to the count of one. Whoever got to ten? Nobody. Because the mind is constantly interrupting. I think maybe after almost three decades, I've got to three. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and that's probably when I'm sleeping, you know. <laughs> um, there was a time, I was speaking to someone earlier this morning, there was a time when I really felt that this practice would give me something. And I needed that. I wanted that. I wanted the sense of like, doing it right. I'm going to be totally centered. I'm going to be free of all my nonsense. I'm not. And as long as I hold on to expecting that that is going to happen, then I'm in suffering. I have to let go of even the idea that this practice is going to make me a better person or a, more s a nicer person. Well, it has, <laughs> I know that I'm a much nicer person now than I was 30 years ago, for sure. I may still be an asshole, but I'm a nicer asshole. Um, I'm a nicer crank. Uh, I see much more quickly my um, unskillful behaviors. I see much more quickly those that need where I can serve others. I see much more quickly outside of myself as a result of sitting on the cushion and noticing how selfish I can be and noticing how irascible I can be. Has it changed over the years? Yes. It wasn't my motivation for sitting. My motivation for sitting was to find some peace. That's what this practice brings along the way for each of us, if we allow it. If we get out of our own way. It's not a spa day. You know, it's, it's not something, oh, my checklist of things to do this month, go to a zendo. Go to Shambhala, go to a mindfulness center, go to Kadampa. No, it's not something on your checklist. It should be a priority for you. Your daily practice. Whatever your practice is, it doesn't have to be here. You know, it's not about Zen for everybody. If you are, if you want to check out Shambhala or Kadampa or any other practice, that's what you must do until you find the one that fits you. This practice is certainly not for everyone. And I tried the other practices too, and they weren't for me. But there are many different flavors of the Dharma. And that's the beauty of the Dharma. It's not one way. It's, as I said to someone earlier, whatever our practice is, if it allows us to serve others, 
if it shows us the way to be of service to others, then that is the practice for us, for me. Right? Illuminates a path of selflessness. That's the word I was looking for. Oftentimes teachers do this because they're very thirsty. I do this because I've lost my trail of thought. <laughs> Delicious. Thank you, Jesus. So last night, um, Diane, Co not Kosher, no, he wasn't there. Uh, Diane and myself and a friend went to see a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful documentary um, titled Living Into Dying. And so, you know, it's another documentary about someone's experiences around death and dying. And, you know, uh, over the last few years, uh, there have been a lot of these documentaries uh, in the field because the whole conversation around death and dying is becoming very, finally, important in our culture. Um, and so I've seen a lot of these documentaries and have appeared in a couple of them. And so um, a Sangha member here uh, who is a thanatologist, studies death, um, and plays the harp beautifully at the bedside when people are dying. Um, and I've worked with her a couple of times at the bedside with people as they were dying. Asked me if I would be uh, willing to be on a panel uh, at the Open Center as, after a showing of this, of this documentary. And I was like, oh, it's on a Friday night, it's 7 o'clock, it's another one of these things, another panel, who needs it? And as if she was reading my mind, it was a, a Monday here, in a split second, she said, and if you do this for me, the next time you, you need a harp at the bedside, that'll be my gift to whomever it is. I said, okay. You know, it's like, this, too, is the Dharma, you know, it's showing up for others. You know, all right, it's 7 o'clock on a Friday night, ay ay ay. All right, why not? I mean, absolutely. So I said, but really I'd need to see it before I commit. And I just don't want to go to another showing of another documentary that's going to put me to sleep, aggravate me, or whatever. So she sent me a trailer, and it was I could see that it was very beautiful. And the best part is it's 45 minutes long. <laughs> <coughs> so we went to this showing last night, and it was the most beautiful documentary on this topic that I have ever seen. It was from a personal position. It was this woman's own, she narrated it. It was from her, her own perspective. It was the death of her mother's, her mother is 90, now 92. Um, it was the death of her mother's partner, her stepfather. His name is, was Claire. 
and the death, she's in Portland, Oregon, and then the death of a, a close friend. So in all in all, there were four, four men that died throughout the course of this movie, uh, this documentary. And what was so present was the love. The love. Not just the love of the people in it that they had for their own process, but the, the love she brought to making the documentary. It was purely coming from this place of authenticity. It wasn't about voyeurism. It wasn't about, I'm going to make the best documentary on this topic ever. It was simply her allowing herself to be in the presence of something as it was unfolding. It was just, I keep using that word beautiful, the art that she had chose to intersperse with it. It was, it was like sitting zazen. You just had to give yourself up completely to it. To drop any thoughts and ideas. Four different deaths, four different approaches. Uh, the last one, where, uh, they're important to Oregon, so assisted suicide is legal, so he took the pill. Um, um, <coughs> It was very shocking. He went to that doctor one morning with constipation. It turned out he had cancer of the bowels that had gone throughout his whole stomach. And his option was to have surgeries and a colostomy and the whole thing and go through all the radiation and the chemo. And he said, it's a no-no for me. I can't do that. So he took, he uh, decided that 15 days was his, the time that he needed left to get his uh, affairs in order, to see his family, to show them the love. And so 15 days later, he took the pill and died. There was one man in the, among the four of them who was uh, known as the Seeker, Azul. He was clearly a meditation a meditator for many, many years. He traveled all over the world. And to hear him talk about the importance of his meditation practice, of being in each moment as it arises, <coughs> to the sorrow, to the pain, to the joy, to the experience of his body giving up on him, and still wanting to be present to it. Like for me, like this is it. This is the practice. You know, did he want to die? No. Was he experiencing and accepting of it? Yes. It's like this is it. You know, the Great Wall was tumbled. It's beautiful. Um, At the end, um, we got to talk to, to mom. It's interesting, mom's name was Johnny, and the husband's name was Claire. <laughs> so it's kind of like, blah, 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 blah. 
but he was French-Canadian, so it was a French name, Claire. Um, so we got to speak to mom, who's 92, and uh, just talked about uh, how beautiful her daughter's movie was. Oh, and a daughter, and in the movie too, the daughter and the mom, and had all these conversations around dying. So there are no spoiler alerts left, because I'm just <laughs> giving you the whole thing. But um, So we got to talk to mom afterwards, and just say, so beautiful. And you, you were so graceful throughout the whole thing. And she's like, honey, I wasn't. <laughs> you know, there were times when, you know, taking care of him was a nightmare. You know, looked good on film. But, you know, there were moments for each of us. And she told this beautiful story of how she worked through that, but so I said, well, you know, how did you keep your sanity through all that? She said, I took my dog to this, my favorite rock at the lake. And I sit on the rock every day and I think about nothing but love. She said, that's all there is, love. Everything else doesn't matter. You know, he's shitting and pissing, pissing and moaning, getting angry, having laughs. In the end, it's all just about love. So beautiful. This 92-year-old, still full of life, right? She's like, mm. ready to go. She's going on tour with her daughter with this movie. So. I actually, she gave me a copy of the movie, so I'd like to show it here one night. Um, or you can actually go out and buy it, I guess, on Amazon. Living in to die. Yeah, Zazen. The practice. Whatever Azul's practice was, and I, clearly it was, you know, from uh, the yogic tradition and the Indian tr Hindu tradition because of his altar, you could see that. Um, but so dedicated to realize, realizing himself in this life and in his death. Beautiful. And they all did it differently. One was a stand-up comic at the end. Claire was an old curmudgeon. Azul was the seeker. And the other guy took the pill. So four very different approaches. Those of you who uh, work with Koan, uh, start with Mu and then you go on to the, the Koans by uh, Kurio Asaka. And there are, I think, 80 of them. For those of you who are struggling through them, you know exactly how many there are. But I think there are 80 or 82. Uh, so Kurio Asaka was a wonderful, wonderful Zen teacher. And he had this to say on sitting. Let me say a few words about the act of sitting and the pain you will almost certainly experience. Some have more trouble or pain than others. Regardless of how much pain you have, I want you to sit well. If the pain is very bad, sitting on a chair is quite all right. Our practice is not asceticism. 
As Dogen Zanji said, when zazen is supposed to be very comfortable and peaceful, as Dogen Zanji said, zazen is supposed to be very comfortable and peaceful. So I want you to sit comfortably. But being comfortable is not enough. You must do zazen. So zazen is not about just about sitting comfortably. That's not enough. Zazen is the practice of letting body mind drop away. Let the body sit, let the breath sit, let the mind sit. In a sense, body and mind are not two but one. If you really make your body sit, mind sits. Making effort to really sit is zazen. Just sitting on the cushion, letting your mind wander around, is not zazen. That's not what this is about. Some of you know them, that I, I'm loving right now uh, Aitken's series of little vignettes from Zen Master Raven. If any of you have not heard or read Zen Master Raven, it's cute. It's really cute. Um, little stories. Cute's not the right word, but uh, I think ultimately profound little vignettes. Um, Aitken Roshi, uh, formulated, ideated, whatever that word is, a community of animals, birds, as a sangha, living in the forest. And the Zen master was a raven. And there's all these little, great little vignettes of uh, teachings. So I was going through, the, through it last night, and of course, the, the one that you need to see always pops out. This one is around Zazen. Black Bear came to see Raven one morning and said, I have this persistent pain under my right shoulder blade. Should I be sitting through it? Raven asked, have you tried sitting through it? Black Bear said, it just gets worse. Raven said, maybe you should elevate your seat a little. Try sitting on a stone. Black Bear said, it doesn't seem to help. Raven said, try lying down. Black Bear said, can I really do zazen lying down? Raven said, how else can you do it? How else can you do it? If you can't sit full lotus, if you can't sit half lotus, if you can't sit on a cushion, how can you do it? It's not about not doing it because you can't sit in full lotus. It's not about not doing because you can't sit on the cushion right now because I'm so, um, can't even think of the word, proud, it's not the right word, it does. I'm sitting on a cushion and my legs, my knees killing me. It's two, two days a week in physical therapy because I soul cycled my knee. <laughs> Again, you know, here I am. I'm on my way to Soul Cycle like about four weeks ago now, a month ago. And uh, I have, you know, this chronic knee condition on my left knee. And I'm walking across the street and I turned awkwardly and twisted my knee and I felt that familiar pain. And I thought, I really shouldn't go. 
you know. But I was like, from here to cross the street, I'm, like, I'm here now, I may as well. So I cycled my way through excruciating pain, thinking this is good for me. <laughs> you know, I'm not a wuss. This is good for me. I'll work this through. And ended up walking on a cane for like two weeks. And now I'm in physical therapy. And here I am this morning sitting on this cushion and my knee is killing me when I should be sitting in a chair with my teacher. But no, something overtook me. And here I am. If sitting on a cushion doesn't work, don't sit on the cushion. Because you don't, you're not going to get to that place, that place of restful mind if you're in pain. Some teachers will tell you, no, you can't. You'll go to some Zen centers and they'll whack you on the shoulder and tell you to sit up straight. Don't move an inch. I tried that 28 years ago. I was like, this Zen is not for me. This Rinzai practice is not for me. And for some, it's absolutely perfect. For the particular teacher that I was thinking of studying with, it just wasn't for me. I couldn't sit for 45 minutes without moving an inch, without feeling the pain. I digressed again. Anyway, um, so that was Zen Master Raven, right there. So Kuryosaka, so if your practice is Mu, become one with Mu. If you're counting your breath, become one with counting. If you do shikantaza, become zazen yourself. Yeah. I won't go into the rest of that. Dogen said, paraphrasing, Forgetting yourself is sometimes referred to as man is forgotten. Man is empty. But at the beginning stages of forgetting yourself, there is still the object on which you are concentrating. So you'll go further into samadhi, which is that state of emptiness. And the object is eliminated. That is called dharma is empty. This is still Koryosaka, uh, by the way. Then when the samadhi ripens, we say both man and dharma are empty. This state is called the great death, the ideal condition of samadhi. When we get to dharma is empty, when we get to not labeling, when we get to um, dropping it all, speaking to someone this morning again, um, you know, we often talk about there is no separation between practice and your life. You know, you come to the center, or wherever it is, you're doing your meditation, you got your Zen practice, and then you go out into the world, and your life, and this and the other. There's no separation. Your life is your practice. Your practice is your life. It's not one is one thing and one is the other. So, you know, I could say to myself, in my, in my life, you know, I'm a, I'm a 
husband, I'm a teacher, I'm a student, I am in recovery, I am this, I'm that, I'm all these, I have all these labels for what I am. And in my practice, my practice is about I am Buddha, I am the precepts, I am the study. So, no. I've labeled my life here, and I've labeled my practice here. Once I start to think that my practice, you know, we hear, we are Buddha, I am Buddha, we are the precepts, we are this, we are. Once we buy into those labels too, then we've lost it again. They're just ideas. When we can sit and drop all those labels. That's what Zazen is about. Yes, we do need labels in our life because we live in a relative world. We language, we label, but we're not to get caught up in those. Then we're sitting Zazen. For me, maybe 30 seconds or a minute a day. But I keep at it. Would you put that down? I'm not finished yet. <laughs> she keeps reaching for the mallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously bored. Nothing else to say. <laughs> Only another hour to go. All right, I'm going to finish with two little snippets from Zen Master Ray. Especially for you. Just think what you would have missed if you'd buying that thing. <laughs> First one is facing in, facing out. Raccoon visited again from Sid Ford and asked, why do some Zen groups sit facing into the circle and some sit facing out? Raven looked around and asked, any other questions? <laughs> Raccoon sat back. It's not the point. Why do some sit in, some sit out? Raven's like, any other questions? You can see why Chodo likes Raven, right? (laughs) Whatever, anyone else got anything to say? (laughs) But it's such a great teaching right there. It's not about facing in or facing out. It's about doing it. Sitting on the bus, in the subway, facing in, facing out, whatever. I think this is a lovely one to end on. The goal, Grey Wolf made one of her rare visits to the circle. And after a talk by Raymond, she remarked, the goal of practice seems to be just more practice. The goal of practice seems to be just more practice. Raven bobbed his head, well. Grey Wolf hesitated and then asked, so there's no end to it? Raven hopped down from his perch to a little hummock beside Grey Wolf, put his beak to her ear and murmured, thank goodness.
So there's no end to it. My goodness, said Master Ray. Thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you for putting up with my digressions and my going way past Hoetsu's allotted time for me. <laughs> <laughs> you may now strike the <laughs>